literally said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, and then followed up with what? Help my, <clears throat> help my unbelief. And that song is reflecting that. I trust him, and I prove it him, but oh, for grace to what? <clears throat> to trust him more and to, and to grow in that. Appreciate that ministry. Please turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, and we mentioned this morning, returning to our philosophy of ministry series. And when you think of a philosophy of ministry statement or a philosophy statement, you're really attempting to answer um, questions like, where are we headed? And why, are, why have we chosen the path that we are on? Um, last time we tried to consider those questions in reference to our music, uh, both for our church and for what we challenge each other to in personally in our lifestyle and our personal listening habits. And we're going to try to take that another step further. I was thinking about this tonight. Uh, I'm not sure that I would call what I'm going to do tonight preaching. Uh, this may be more of one of those church family times or pastoral council times. I mean, we really are talking about why are we headed where we're headed? Why are we doing what we're doing in, in regards to um, our music and the choices that we make? The last time we did note several reasons that we give concern to practicing discernment about music. And one of the reasons why we have to be discerning about this is our God is a musical being. Our, our artistic natures are a reflection of his image in us. And by God's design, music has a significant impact on man's whole constitution. I mean, we saw it impacting Saul's physical body, his emotional and even his spiritual well-being. And, and we attempt to practice discernment uh, regarding music because God has further instructed that it be an integral part in corporate worship. And that was the case in both Old Testament and in the New Testament. Music and poetry and all of the arts can communicate motions of our soul that just the, the reading of bare text alone cannot communicate. And God has ordained that music help facilitate the communication of our adoration, our praise, even our a wholesome fear and trembling and so on. And our joy, and, and it goes on. But another big reason that we practice discernment regarding music is not just that God's a musical being, we're created in his image, and so it impacts us, and, and because he's ordained it to be a, such an important part of worship. But another reason is because 1 Corinthians 14, where we finished last time, declares what we all know instinctively, and that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that music is a form of communication. And <clears throat> in order to be truly edifying, um, both the sound and the lyrics must be communicating a, a consistent, singular message. In 1 Corinthians 14, the communication that is involved in music was not vocal anything. It was a pipe and string and in particular a trumpet but it was part of the communication and against all of that backdrop 
kind of laying behind all of that is the fact that the devil is also a musical being. Um, God created, in the day that he was created, uh, Ezekiel 28 says he was prepared with tablets and and pipes in the day he was created. I mean, God uh, made this being that we call the devil today to be one that was capable of reflecting him in in, uh, really the highest and most excellent fashion. But as with everything else about the devil... He has perverted music to the hurt of man and to the dishonor of God. And there, there are spiritual songs. And there are sounds that promote uh, qualities that have come to be known as the fruit of the Spirit. But there are sounds and styles that encourage displays of the lust of the flesh. And for all of those reasons, we, we practice discernment. Tonight, we've turned to this text here in Colossians 3 because it points to several necessary qualities for a positive spiritual impact. So notice Colossians 3 and verse 16. You follow along as I read this one verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And I want us to note right from the start tonight that a positive spiritual impact in music begins with content that is saturated with the words of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and reflect that in the music as the rest of the verse goes on to say. What that is going to take is, is first of all, that the authors, the composers, the creators of the music are are word-saturated. We're talking in particular right now about a positive spiritual impact, music that is truly edifying, music that is in particular appropriate to to convey messages of worship to the Lord. If, if that is going to be the case, then it has to be word-saturated, and the composers, the creators of the music, need to be, first of all, Bible students, and secondly, musicians. And it means, furthermore, that when the authors start composing, they are occupied, first of all, with a text of Scripture, And secondly, (laughs) occupied with a sound. I remember a young preacher boy mentioned this when we were talking about philosophy of preaching. I remember a young preacher boy, he had preached one time previous to this in a competition type setting. And then we gave him opportunities to minister. And I encountered him. I said, hey, how's it going? Are you getting ready for this next occasion? And he said, oh, Pastor Fuller. He said, I have an incredible closing illustration. And now I'm just looking for a text to go with it. I'm serious. He just said it, and he was so excited. I've got an incredible closer. If I can just nail down a text, that will help me get there. Okay? And in preaching, we often emphasize that, that a man can start with one of two questions in mind. He can start with, you know, what can I say? Obviously, if it's preaching, what can I say about something Bible-related, right? 
What can I say that would be captivating and, you know, appropriate and fill the time and, and, and catch people? He can start with that, or he can start with, what does this say? What does this text say? And in the one, he's kind of starting basically as a creator. I can come up with a message. And in the other, he's really starting as an investigator. What does this say? And, and brethren, I'm making the parallel because musicians need to get that order right as well. <clears throat> Not just have a tune that's kind of captivated me, <clears throat> and I've got this great tune. I think this tune would be really catchy or impactful or bring people to tears or whatever it may be. And now if I can just find some words to go with it. I'm saying that if it's going to have its highest positive spiritual impact, it has to start with a word-saturated text. And that comes right out of our confidence and commitments to the words of Scripture. It's the word that brings saving faith, the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise into salvation. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? By the word. It's the word that sanctifies. It's the word that cleanses. It's the word that enlightens. It's the word that produces disciples. And I can go on. But it is the word that, that a musician should target God's people going away with. The most helpful songs will have clear and substantial scriptural messages. That's what I want to bring to the mind of God's people. Let the word dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing through your music. So the first thing is that, that they're textually saturated. Secondly, in this passage, notice that, but that positive spiritual impact in music has a life-changing purpose. So verse 16 again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And now we're supposed to be doing what with our music? With that word-saturated text, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with uh, uh, grace in your hearts to the Lord. I'm emphasizing that to say this, teaching and admonishing, and this is why I can make some of the parallels I'm making with preaching, because teaching and admonishing are functions of what? They're functions of preaching ministry. Preach the word, instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So persuade to change with doctrine. That's what preaching is supposed to do. Interesting that right here, be saturated in the word and teach and admonish with your music. Teaching and admonishing, instructing and, and, and calling for change. Words that are persuasive. Easy listening music is easy to listen to because it doesn't really demand anything of you. Right? You, you don't have to think about much. That's easy listening music. Several musical techniques actually contribute to the diminishing of conscious intellectual activity. And they kind of encourage even subconscious activity. Now, New Age music is going after that effect very purposefully, and, and the potential dangers of that are really frightening. They are substantial. 
Is nostalgia, is dreamy, is kind of sentimental, is that wrong? And I actually then, and to this day, trying to think through it, don't think there's anything wrong with it. I actually like Anne of Green Gables and all that goes with it. I can't get my boys to watch it. I don't know if Lauren's ever got Samuel to watch it, but <clears throat> uh, I like it. I One time, a friend of mine and I, we went to a Chicago Bears preseason football game. We came back to my wife's house. Her parents were not there. It was the two of us. We come from, he played linebacker in college. He's a big guy. And we got back to my wife's parents. We actually put in Anne of Green Gables. We started watching it. I fell asleep. I woke up in the middle of the night, and Jeff has tears pouring down his face <coughs> watching Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong with you at that time? Okay. I, I actually think there's a place for that. But it is a sound that if we are not careful can put young people in particular into kind of a superficial emotional frame of mind at Singspirations and campfire services and other prolonged forms of kind of subjectively oriented occasions. And the fruit of it is often really kind of teary-eyed testimonies. And I don't mean to be condescending. I'm saying this because I was a youth pastor. And we had, we had Singspirations once a month for years. And, and teary-eyed testimonies dripping with syrup from, from teenagers that before that night had a very superficial commitment to Christ at best. And after we left, went out really unchanged, and in some cases I know that today they are not living for the Lord. But we thought we had this incredible, positive, spiritual encounter. And it was actually something that troubled me before I ever had this Anne Green Gables experience. And at some point I actually changed the hymnals we were using for Singspiration. Because I got tired of kids that weren't living for the Lord before, I'm sorry I think of it, but one girl really literally gave a tear-filled testimony about whatever God did to help her cat. And I'm I'm sure that was meaningful. I mean, we, we got pets too, right? But she went out of there, and she hasn't lived for... I mean, seriously, she was under church discipline. She's been divorced. Her life's a disaster. And I could go on. They weren't all like that. They weren't all like that. But she didn't have a heart for the Lord before. She didn't have a heart for the Lord after. But something about the combination of the music that we were singing. If I name the songs, you all know them. But we would sing them one after another, after another, after another. And it impacted that. And and sometimes we say we had an incredible blessing. Um, And we might have had a really good feeling. The, the possibility that music there can communicate fleshliness and sensuality of various stripes. Now we're talking about morality in that. But it's also possible that music can communicate an aura that is not immoral, but is still confusing in terms of its spiritual benefit. Um, there was a US Today, USA Today article several years ago that read, 
In many U.S. churches today, worship musicians bang the drums for God and singers croon as if Christ was their boyfriend. I'm talking USA Today. That's how it started. And it continued by telling the story of an undercover student at Liberty University. And this was several years after the whole thing had happened because he ended up writing a book and then this article came out promoting the book. But um, I'm going to read it the way it is. In, in 2007, Kevin Roos transferred from secular liberal Brown University to evangelical conservative Liberty University. This was not because he had been converted. Roos describes himself as, at best, an agnostic. His intention was to enter the student body undercover and write about fundamentalist Christianity from the perspective of an insider. The result of this endeavor is Roos's fascinating book, The Unlikely Disciple. Late in the book, Roos recounts a, peculiar, a, a particular sensation he experienced during two different worship services held on Liberty's campus the week of Easter. He begins by describing the second event, which took place during one of the Easter morning services at Thomas Road. He relates, now they're quoting from his book, during the second service, while I'm singing the same three resurrection hymns I sang the last time, I find myself getting swept up in the mass joy. He then elaborates by describing the first occurrence of the sensation in more detail. In honor of Holy Week, Liberty held a special communion service in the basketball arena. It was a pretty spectacular sight. A hundred-foot cross was constructed on the floor of the arena with thousands of grape-juice-filled plastic cups and industrial-sized buckets of communion wafers sitting on top. The whole thing was spotlit from below, which gave it a strange ethereal glow. After the communion service, the campus praise band played a song called Make a Joyful Noise to the Lord. It's a catchy, upbeat number, and the only thing that distinguishes it from the 20 other catchy, upbeat numbers in the praise band's repertoire is that this one has built-in audience participation. When the front man sings the title line, the congregation whoops and hollers, literally making joyful noises. That's when it happened. When I heard thousands of Liberty students erupting in joy all around me in a dark arena with a huge glowing cross, I got that same tingly sensation. This time, it began to feel like there was a string connected to the top of my head, and it was being pulled slowly upward toward the ceiling. Pretty soon, I was joining the rest of my classmates in shouting and cheering, not out of any duty or desiring to blend in, but because in that moment, I couldn't restrain myself. And it's clear from the rest of the article and, and the book and other things Ruth himself has written that the reason he was carried away had nothing to do with being overwhelmed by the beauty of any new truth. Okay. He was overwhelmed by the aura and crowd dynamics. The whole thing just captivated him and, and took him over, and he joined in the rest of the crowd. I, I, I've said it. I think there's a place for Andrew Green Gables. Uh, it seems like it seems like the Psalter, the book of Psalms, has poetry and musical notations that even reflect a broad range of moods. <clears throat> I, I think there's a place for some of the men's quartet singing songs like I'll Fly Away or, or something of that nature that would really get my pastor excited when I was a boy. 
Loving God with your whole heart, soul, and mind and strength is not the same thing as falling in love with Jesus. And anything that resembles a romantic type, you know, model. There's nothing of that sort promoted or encouraged in the Bible anywhere. Banish all of the romance type verbiage and all that goes with it. And talking about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jonathan Edwards in the days of the Great Awakening and really after the Great Awakening when there was, people were critiquing, what about all these professors? And, and how do we know who's got the genuine real thing? Because there were others who came in after Edwards and were actually targeting, trying to get people to tremble and, and, and have certain kind of whole physical displays. And Edwards has written a whole book called Religious Affections, and I'm working my way through it right now. But he said there's a difference between passions and affections. Passions, uh, Edwards said, are, are what a person experiences almost involuntarily without any thought. Um, they, they bypass the intellect. Uh, they result in a subjective physical response. And, and passions aren't necessarily wrong. They're just part of what is, is our physical makeup. Okay, but they're not trusted as something objective and concrete. I, I think you know that. Have, have you ever laughed um, just because you saw someone else laughing? Or a group of people laughing. You didn't even know why they were laughing. But they're laughing, and the group is starting to laugh, and you just get, you know, tickled by it or whatever, and you just start laughing because other people are laughing. Okay. Have you ever cried when you saw someone else crying, and, and you didn't even know why they were crying? And I'm, I'm sorry, there's, this is one of the hard things about being pastor's kids, because dad uses you as illustrations. And this was so long ago. But I tell you, in our family, there was one that if they ever saw mom crying, okay, and, and little Daniel, <laughs> when, when little Daniel was a baby and a toddler, and he'd sit in his car seat, and, and there were times where he saw mom crying, and he had no clue why mom was crying, and we'd turn around, and Daniel had big eyes and big lips, and We'd see big tear balls rolling down that big lip, and you'd turn around, and, Daniel, why are you crying? I don't know. <laughs> but mom was crying, so he's crying, right? Okay, that, what, what I'm talking about, those, those are emotional responses. They're, they're just, they're along the level of kind of base level passions, and there's others like that. But affections even as the Bible uses it, as opposed to passions, affections are volitional responses to acknowledged truth. They, they aren't immediate. Uh, they are developed. 
And they're not passing, they're actually lasting. And they involve the whole of man, the mind and the will and all, not just the emotions. And true affectionate responses of worship will be based upon an intellectual understanding of truth that is moving us in a direction. Colossians 3 and verse 2 exhorts us to what? Set our affection on things above. You don't just kind of feel it. You set it on purpose, intentionally, because of truth that you value. You set it there. And yes, it is an expression of the soul. But it's something that is purposeful. Some have said worship that is in spirit only may be passionate only. But worship that is in spirit and in truth will involve an affectionate response to truth about God. And Edwards expressed the concern that targeting the passions will actually work against the development of true affections. And again, I, can, I could make some parallels. I've talked about this in preaching before, but, but a preacher has to know and have some sense of restraint that he not move on people's consciences and get people to respond a certain way because he's really mastered the ability to kind of capture the crowd dynamic and learn what it takes to get people forward or to get people to whatever it is. You, you can actually work against what you say you're trying to accomplish. The, the style of sound should fit, and we're these together now, the style of, of sound should fit the God-centered, scripturally saturated content, and the goal of all change is, of course, greater measures of Christ's likeness. Teach and admonish to the changing into the form of Christ. And then a last quality that we're going to note from this passage is that positive spiritual impact in music ends with an offering to the Lord. So again, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, saturated, scripture-saturated content, teaching and admonishing. So attempting to persuade and change and instruct. And yes, there are these forms of carrying it, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but we're doing all of this singing with grace in our hearts to who? In our hearts to the Lord. It, it all ends with an offering to the Lord. The whole package, the text, the sound, the musicians, all aspects of the musicianship has to be to the Lord. When we spend our time on worship as a whole, we noted that worship is communicating to God that we regard Him as glorious. I mean, that's what worship is. I'm communicating to God by what I say and by what I do that I believe He is uniquely excellent in all that He says and all that He does. So I'm communicating to Him, and, and there are repeated calls to do that in the beauty of holiness with an attitude of reverence. It's about God, not about me. It should be about 
what reflects God, not what reflects man. It should be about what pleases God, not what pleases man. And the fact that I like um, the sound, or it makes me feel good, or the fact that visitors like the sound, or it connects with the people we're trying to reach, that is not the absolute standard. What if fleshly music is a form of expression people are choosing to, to worship God because those people are still fundamentally flawed? Fleshly sounds are what people are using and, and, and what if they're using them because they are still fundamentally flawed? Like, think of this in 1 John chapter 4. You are, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Think of these connections. They are of the world. Therefore, speak they of the world and the world heareth them. I fear that in many cases the reason why some of the world's baser musical styles are connecting with some so-called worshipers is because those worshipers are still worldlings at heart. And, and I do mean, you say, Pastor, do you mean to imply that they are unsaved? And I say, yes, I do. I, I don't know that for everybody. But I do mean to imply that a great many of them are unregenerate. There has been no transformation of the inner man. Now, that's not the case for everybody. But let me tell you why I'm saying that. Okay. I've had opportunity to witness to the police chief in our former community, who's a lady, and her husband, who's a, who's a county sheriff. I coached their son. I'd had opportunity to witness to them on multiple occasions. They, they do not comprehend the gospel at all, and what they've comprehended, they have rejected, uh, to my knowledge to this day. And they asked me some things about our church and kind of our culture and there were some things they were saying about you know our our kids and our parenting and that they were saying i agree with you about that well i'm so thankful you do that and that's so important and i wish we could do that with our kids and whatever and they asked a little more and the topic of music came up and and uh, this lady just said this unsaved lady okay and i'm not stretching it all right this unsaved lady um just really reacted and their sponsors at their, uh, their, their youth sponsors at their United Methodist Church. And the denomination isn't by itself an issue, but this one is absolutely fully liberal. I'm talking theologically liberal. They literally have blessings for pets on Sunday morning services. The, the feeding of the 5,000 was not Jesus doing a miracle. The feeding of the 5,000 was taking a little boy's lunch showing everybody that he was willing to share. Now we all need to share with each other. And she literally preached communism and socialism. I, I gave that away. She, the pastor, she 
preached communism and socialism from a miracle of Jesus and pet blessings and all that. These people are, are youth sponsors of that church, and they took their teens to a Christian rock concert. And she said to me, it was such a powerful thing, and she said, it would have brought tears to your eyes to hear a thousand teenagers screaming the name of Jesus. And I did not respond to her with what I was thinking, but what I was thinking was, I'm sure it would have. But what were tears of joy to her were just would have been tears of brokenheartedness to me. <clears throat> Sometime later than that, I went in one day to, Dana was in the weight room at Whitewater High School, and I was walking down the hall to get Dana, and we worked with coaches we had limited exposure in those settings and we told them why we had limited exposure in those settings was because of the music the boys would get in their workouts but they wouldn't be there unless it was a required team thing this was a required team thing daniel's in there i'm going to find daniel and i hear coming out of the weight room the the same rock sounds that i was used to hearing coming out of the weight room and it's just blasting out of that weight room and as I got closer to the weight room, things started to happen all right at once. I'm hearing this rock music. <clears throat> I get to the door. I all of a sudden think I heard Jesus' name. I saw Daniel and a boy <clears throat> that had come to our church before just said, Oh, Mr. Fuller, you like this one? And I stand there trying to say, what am I supposed to be liking? And then I heard grace and I heard Jesus again. And I can't remember how I got out of that conversation. But as I'm walking with Dan, I'm like, what's going on? He said, Dad, that's Chris Tomlin's amazing grace. And he said, what's crazy is right before we came in here, one of the other boys' mom walked by, relatively immodest, and that very boy was talking about how hot his teammate's mom was in awful, awful communication. But he loved Chris Tomlin's Amazing Grace. And, and so, brethren, I, I'm, I'm not saying that that's everybody that's out there all over, but I am saying that some unregenerate, unbelieving people love the world's sounds because they're still worldlings. And they love it when they come into our churches. And we'll give them amazing grace with the fleshly style. But it's more than that. I, I mean also this, that music can be connecting with the worldliness that still resides in the heart of a genuine child of God, right? The Apostle Paul wrote, as a mature believer, in my flesh dwells what? Dwells no good thing. And brethren, there are sounds that my flesh likes. I'm telling you right now, at 50 years old, if you're wondering how old I am, I'm 50 years old, and there are sounds that my flesh likes today that I know are not good 
for the development of wholesome affections. And when my music, like, like any other part of my lifestyle, reflects a pursuit of God, there will be a noticeable difference from the sounds of the unregenerate culture. 1 Peter chapter 1, you don't need to turn, this, this is very familiar to us. 1 Peter 1 verse 14 says, Not fashioning yourselves according to your former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am what? Okay, don't pattern yourself. Don't follow the scheme of your unregenerate lust. But as obedient children of God, follow the one who is now your father, who is himself set apart from all defilement, and be like him in all manner of your lifestyle. Now, we finished last time by admitting that this, it is not always crystal clear where the dividing line is between good music and bad music. I'm certain it is clear to God, but because of the limits of our humanity and our sinfulness, we can't see the line that God has regarding music. And, and so what do we do? If, you know, if I'm not seeing it clearly, what do I do with the foggy that, that isn't so clear? And what many have just said is, well, it's all neutral. And since it's neutral, it really doesn't matter. And our response, and I'm talking about, you know, our response as a church, because we're talking about our philosophy of ministry as a church, where we're headed and why. Our response is, no. Because it's foggy doesn't mean it's neutral, and because it's neutral doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Our response is, no, we're talking about the worship of God. We are talking about something that impacts the entire makeup of our person. We're talking about something the Bible says communicates. And so we're going to continue to practice discernment and ransack the scripture and explore it as best as we know how. Like, this isn't original with me, but when do you know a guy needs a haircut? I mean, can you tell the exact day or the exact moment that long has become long? Now, that's long hair. And that, okay. <clears throat> Obviously, we don't. Does that mean you can never know when a guy needs a haircut? And obviously the answer is no to that. I mean, you may not know exactly where that line is, but you know when long has become long. And, and I'll just say this. When, when, when has a praise band or a praise team become a praise team? Is, is it just two or three singers? Is the presence of so much as a single guitar the clincher? We don't know, do we? But, but you do know that when you just move away from a song leader completely leading the worship, and you've got multiple singers with their own microphones, and you've got the assortment of instruments that you'd find in a country band on the stage then you know you have a praise team. 
and you're mimicking the pop the you're, you're mimicking the look made popular by the bands of an unregenerate world while all the while the scripture says and be not conformed to this world Somebody says, well, why can't we take the things that are so popular and use them for good purposes? And the Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather what? Rather reprove them. So we, we really are back to where we finished last time, and that is that this calls on us to practice discernment. That will be reflected in carefully evaluating every form of communication every expression of worship, doing it by God's revelation in the scripture, doing it by pursuing the knowledge about the music and the sounds and the whole accessories, and applying scripture to it, and doing it because this I pray that your love may grow in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent. Sincerity in worship is not enough. Practicing discernment about the forms of worship is one way to express love and honor to the Lord. And I want us to take our hymnals and we are going to turn to number 548. Number 548. More love. To thee, O Christ, more love to thee.